0: Well, good morning, church. Man, uh, so glad you're here. My name is Corey Trevathan. I'm the preacher here, but I'm not preaching today. A lot of you look relieved. I'm not sure i take that, but today's going to be a great day. Today, my friend, John Allen Turner is with us, and I could tell you a lot about John. Uh, he's... An author, one of his books is in our at-home center. I'd love for you to check that out after, after our time together today. Uh, he has his own podcast. He's a theologian. He's a speaker. But most importantly, he's, over the last year, become a really good, a really good friend of mine. And I'm really excited that he's here today. He's going to wrap up our series, uh, this Choose to Believe series, as we talk about what it means to overcome uh, fear with faith. And so I'm really, really honored and really humbled that he would come and be with us today. I know you're going to be blessed uh, blessed by him as I've been blessed uh, for. Uh, for so long So I'd like to offer prayer uh, For our time together and for John And then I'll turn things over to him let's, uh, let's pray together God you are so good And your love endures forever And I'm so thankful today to have this chance Once again to dive into your word And to think about what it means for us As people of Jesus To, uh, to face the world around us And the fear and the anxiety that we face everyday God And to, to approach it uh, with faith To approach as people who believe That you are exactly who you say you are and because of that, God, we know it changes everything. Father, may it change everything about us. God, bless, bless John as he speaks to us, Father. Just pour your spirit through him. God, open our hearts and our, our ears, our lives to, to receive a word from you today. God, I pray this in the name of your son. Amen. John. In the
1: summer of 2014, I was sitting in my office and I got that call that phone call that uh, no one wants to get. I picked up the phone, which is a little bit unusual, because if I don't recognize the number, I don't usually pick it up. And I didn't recognize the number, but I picked it up anyway. And on the other end of the phone was, I don't know what her name was now, Sherry, let's call her Sherry. Hi, Mr. Turner, this is Sherry calling you from Dr. French's office, and he would like for you to come in and discuss the results of your recent tests. As some of you have probably gotten that phone call before, some of you know someone who's gotten that phone call before. I said to her, "Sherry, I've watched enough television to know that uh, nothing good is going to happen now, is it?" And she said, "I can't really get into that. Dr. French just wants to know when you can come in and discuss the results of your test." And so <clears throat> I did schedule a time to go in and discuss the results of that test, and uh, I was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, which has an 85% mortality rate in the first three years. I know that because WebMD told me that. And uh, for the next 48 hours, I was a basket case. I had no idea what I was in store for. I had no idea what I was going to endure. I had no idea what the path forward was going to look like. I can tell you this, um, I love DJ's uh, worship leading, and I love singing with you guys, and I can't do it. I just literally physically can't. My throat hasn't recuperated enough yet, where I can really sing in the full-throated manner that I love to do. But I stand here before you, um, cancer-free for the last six months, and um, we did an experimental, oh, you can go, yeah, that's, that's kind. Um, we did some experimental treatments, and they were pretty difficult, and, uh, and yet they, they managed to work. And so, uh, so I know what it's like to, uh, to be living on borrowed time, to be playing with house money. Uh, I know what it's like to stand in front of you and say, I should statistically not be here anymore, and yet I am. Now, as I was going through all of those treatments and going through all of the uh, uh, recuperation time, uh, in the midst of all of that, um, my marriage completely unraveled. And it took me completely by surprise. I had no idea that was going to happen, but I've come to find out that that's not an uncommon thing, that the divorce rate among uh, cancer patients is alarmingly high. And, um, And so in the summer of 2014... My entire life imploded. And I remember on a hot summer night, I was staying with my sister and my brother-in-law and I was sleeping in their guest bedroom and as trite as this sounds, I got out a sheet of paper and I wrote out a bucket list. You ever done that? Things you want to do before you kick the bucket. I wrote down a list of things that I wanted to do because I didn't know how much more time I was going to have and I wanted to make the most of it. It's weird. Um, When you feel death stalking you, so many things fall away. So many things that mattered so much to you just evaporate. Evaporate. Success, reputation, security, wealth, comfort, ease. They mean nothing. And you're left in that moment with what you really believe. What your life has been built on. And we spend most of our lives pretending like that moment is not going to come. But, to quote uh, Shaw the uh, mortality rate is still an impressive 100%. Death comes for one out of every one person. And your day will come. And at the risk of sounding like a 1970s personal evangelist who may have knocked on your door on a Saturday morning, if you were to die tonight, if that were to come for you, what would your last message be? People who know that death is approaching uh, feel this urge to leave a message. Uh, You'll hear about um, passengers on airlines that are going down. The the first thing they want to do is send a text message to somebody or leave a voicemail. Uh, Even in the concentration camps in Dachau and places like that, Prisoners would write down messages and jam them into cracks in the wall in the hopes that someone someday would find it and they would read their message. Very few people know they're about to die. But when you do know that, you want to reach out and leave some parting words. In Daniel chapter 3, we encounter three young men. Uh, three young men who are men of great promise, Uh, men who had risen to positions of prominence in uh, the world's most powerful nation. They were full of hopes and full of dreams. And again, usually when people know they're going to die, there's nothing they can do about it. You're stuck in that airplane. You're trapped in that concentration camp, down in that coal mine, or in a submarine, or in some situation where you know there is nothing you can do about it. The amazing thing about these three young men in Daniel chapter 3 is they could have done something to stop it. Death was not inevitable for them. They could have escaped, but they chose not to. In Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we read about King Nebuchadnezzar. And that he made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. Now just for reference, any of you ever been to Tulsa? You've been to Tulsa, you've seen the big, um, the golden driller? That big statue of the the, the oil man there, that's about 75 feet high. This statue would have been close to 90 feet high. So it's larger than the golden driller. Not quite as large, not quite as tall as the Statue of Liberty. But that just gives you a little frame of reference. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So, the satraps, pretexts, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all other kinds of music, this guy loves lists. Doesn't he even notice that? Uh, As soon as you hear all that, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time... Some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn flute, zither lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, (coughs) who pay no attention to you your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, (coughs) if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you don't worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, if you're an underliner, that may be a thing for you to underline there. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You know, he kind of tries to talk them out of it. He would given this decree that if you don't do it, immediately you're thrown into the furnace. They bring him before him and he goes, is it true? And I go, yeah, it's true. And he goes, okay, I'll give you one more shot at this. Just to make sure you're paying attention. Just to make sure you know that I mean business. He tries to talk them out of it, but they refuse to listen. So, verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Seven is Bible code for a lot. It right? doesn't mean that like, he's got a temperature gauge and he's like, it's 100 degrees. Maybe it's 700 degrees. Like, he's not measuring it. He's just, it just means a lot. Okay? And So think about what they're facing. I don't know if you've ever burned yourself, but I used to do uh, youth ministry. I used to be in student ministry. And I, I did youth ministry in California. And uh, in California, uh, every youth group, it's almost like it's required by law, you have to do a ski retreat. So we went up to the mountains and we went skiing, which I think is a much wiser idea than a beach retreat, because if anything, they're wearing too many clothes. So, um, so we, we went on this ski retreat, and we get up there, and we've rented this giant lodge. There are like 25 of us, and we're in a cabin the size of this room. I mean, it was huge, and it was drafty and cold. There were windows everywhere, and so it was freezing in there. And we tried to get the heater turned on. And the, the fan would blow, no hot air would come out. So the, the furnace or something, some, it was out. So it's freezing cold in there. We're trying to figure it out. There's a fireplace off to the side. So we think we'll just build a fire. So we go out, we gather enough wood, and we load this thing up with seven times more wood than it needs. And, uh, and we're trying to light it, and it will not light. And I'm thinking, how do wildfires even get started? Like, have you ever been in that situation where you're, I'm intentionally trying to set a fire and it won't do it. So, I we're pouring lighter fluid on it and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and finally, whoosh, it, it turns on. <clears throat> or, the, I mean, it lights in fire. Uh, uh, but, uh, what, the uh, flue was closed. So, now there's smoke everywhere. And there's a smoke alarm that works. The heater doesn't work, but the smoke alarm is fine, right? And it's all the way up in the ceiling, it's attached to the ceiling, and we can't get it to turn off. Eventually, I got it to turn off with the help of a ski boot. <laughs> Bang! Thing drops to uh, the But now there's so so that's turned off, but now there's smoke everywhere. And so I just absent-mindedly go back over to the fireplace and reach up and grab. And you can almost to this day read the name of the manufacturer (laughs) on my hand. Any of you who've ever burned yourself in any significant way, you understand just how painful what is in store for them. Burning someone to death historically has been considered one of the most inhumane forms of execution because there's no corpse left to bury or to mourn. And in ancient times, that mattered a great deal to those people. Usually, burning someone is reserved for heretics, for witches, for people society wants to be completely rid of. It's one of the cruelest, most painful, most inhumane treatments. And that is what awaits them, and they face it voluntarily. Verse 20. He commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. All of these details that he puts in there, these are important. The writer wants us to know the king's rage is so intense that he kills some of his own men and doesn't blink doesn't flinch at the idea that three of his, or that several of his strongest soldiers had perished in this whole process. This is not a story about people running away from a campfire. There is no hope for these three young men, humanly speaking. They're completely immobilized, bound, tied, and they're thrown into a raging inferno. Imagine what they're thinking. While all of this is going on, these are three young men who have done the right thing. It's not like they got caught doing something bad. They'd been faithful to God to the very end. They had determined right from the beginning we're not gonna bow down to that statue. And they trusted God to come through on his end of the bargain. God will deliver us, but now every exit has been closed. And now they're carried to the furnace. These are real people. They're carried to the furnace. What are they thinking? And how are they feeling? Are they afraid? Are they disappointed? They can feel the heat. They've seen the men who carried them collapse and die. And now they're in the fire. Last Christmas... Uh, I was invited to a Christmas party with uh, my daughters. And, uh, and it was a, a bad sweater party. Have you guys ever do those? bad Christmas sweater parties? Oh, they're hysterical. So everyone wears the worst Christmas sweater you can find. And let me tell you, you can find some bad Christmas sweaters. We decided to make ours. And so we had, all, we had these sweatshirts out and we had all these uh, uh, crafting elements. I, I, I actually went to a Hobby Lobby, which is not a guy-friendly zone. I took my daughters to a Hobby Lobby to get all the accoutrements we would need to create these uh, horrible Christmas sweaters. And one of the things we needed in order to make these, I borrowed from a friend of mine a glue gun. Have you ever worked with a hot glue gun? Well, that is just an emergency trip waiting to happen. Like an emergency room trip waiting to happen. Uh, And the worst part about working with a hot glue gun is when, the, when you get the hot glue on yourself, and you will at some point in time get the hot glue on yourself, it doesn't hurt immediately. So there's that moment when you recognize I've got glue on me, and now I have to wait until it registers in my central nervous system. And there's that moment where you're just waiting for it to hurt. That's where these guys are. They're thrown into the fire, but it doesn't hurt yet. So they're waiting for the pain, and it doesn't come. They don't suffocate. They don't feel any different. There are no burns. Nothing. They're not even tied up anymore. They're walking around in there. Look at verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw in there? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now there's a fourth member of the furnace club, and he's unharmed as well. Who's that? Who shows up out of nowhere and cheats death and looks like a son of the gods? Jesus? I think it's probably Jesus, because this sounds like the kind of thing he would do. And assuming it is Jesus, what do you think he told them? What's up, guys? Hey, man, good to see you. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Hey, I wanted to tell you, dad's really proud of you. Good job, guys. Hey, we've been watching this whole thing unfold. Excellent work. What do you think they said to him? Uh Nice to meet you. <laughs> thanks. You think they said thanks? Did they pour out their gratitude? You know what's ironic is they were there because they had withheld their worship. And now they end up worshiping like they never have before. And the thing that meant the end of life as they knew it turned out to be the greatest thing that ever happened to them. Because the furnace turns out to be the place where you meet God. In a way you never will anywhere else. And I'm standing here in person as a witness to that truth. Because I begged God to deliver me from the furnace. And instead, God met me in the furnace. I wanted a way out. And sometimes the only way out is through. And Jesus said to me what he said to them, what he is saying to some of you today, it's okay. I'll meet you in the furnace. Sometimes as a follower of Jesus, you're going to end up someplace dangerous. Scary, painful. And sometimes that's going to come as a direct consequence of following Jesus. And sometimes it just comes because we live in a world that is not yet the way God intends for it to be. But for followers of Jesus, the furnace turns out to be the place where Jesus is. And that, ironically enough, makes the furnace the safest place in the universe you could ever go. Verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. You think they were like, no, we're good. We're just going to stay here, you know. It's better in here than it is out there. Uh, So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, "...nor was a hair of their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, there was no smell of fire on them." God doesn't just protect them, he protects their clothes. Nebuchadnezzar said, "...praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants." They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. This is, this is King Nebuchadnezzar saying this. He killed his own soldiers and didn't care about them. And now he congratulates these three young guys for having the audacity to defy his authority. Something is going on in Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Nebuchadnezzar, not big on religious liberty. <laughs> Had never read the Constitution. Um, and then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He doesn't just restore them, he promotes them. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think the rest of their lives were like? Do you think they may have gathered every year on the anniversary of this event and they'd worn those old robes that their wives had tried to throw out a dozen times because they, were, they had holes in them and they didn't fit right anymore and they were out of style? I wonder, because this is the last we hear of these guys. We don't hear any more about their lives. I wonder what the rest of their lives were like. I wonder if they ever thought how easy it would have been for them to miss this adventure. If they'd just given in to their fear and just bent their knees. And they could have pretended like they were worshiping the big giant statue. They didn't actually have to. They could have done something to avoid this. I bet they never forgot this moment. Because if you ever spend time in a furnace, it marks you. You carry that with you for the rest of your life. Going into the furnace, which was the last thing in the world they wanted to do, turned out to be the single biggest event in their lives. The place that looks like death may turn out to be the place where your life is changed forever because God is in there. And sometimes God delivers you from the furnace, but more often than not in this world, He delivers you in the furnace. And this is important because one of the great dangers in our society right now and I'm talking to people who live in the suburbs. And I live in the suburbs too. I get it. I have one of those shopping centers that has a Kohl's and a Target and a PetSmart and a Chipotle and all that. That's right across the street from my neighborhood. I get it. I'm with you. But one of the great dangers for those of us who live in the suburbs is what I would call furnace avoidance. We pray for God. For comfort. For comfort. And our world is very comfortable. And so we pray, God, deliver us from anything hard. Deliver us from pain and from suffering. And really, most of the things we think are pain and suffering are inconvenience. Deliver us from those things. Make my life smooth. Make my life pleasant. And we avoid even low-level flames. I didn't want that diagnosis. I didn't want that divorce. But God's strength has been made perfect in my weakness. And I like to imagine God having a calendar. I know God is outside of time. He doesn't have a calendar. But I like to imagine God has a calendar. And on his calendar... He had written, October 30th, 1045 AM, meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, place, furnace. And God was there, before they were, waiting for them. And when Nebuchadnezzar gave them that second chance outside of the furnace, if they had knelt then, God would have been in the furnace by himself. Where are those guys? They're late. I had an appointment with them. For me, that date was September 22nd, 2014. I remember it vividly. And if I had not gone into the furnace, I would not have met the God who delivered me. What's your date? What's your time? What's your place? What's your furnace? Maybe your furnace is work. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was not up for boss of the year. Maybe your furnace is a relationship, a hard conversation you know you need to have. Maybe for some of you, your relationship is financially oriented. You've gotten yourself in so much debt You don't know what to do. And so you don't do anything. And you're terrified that someone else is going to find out. Maybe your furnace is addiction. A recovery center, a treatment center. Maybe it's mental illness. I don't know what your furnace is. But I'm going to ask you to do something. I can't make you do this. So no coercion. We're not going to have the praise team ooing and aying and emotionally ramping you up so that I can stand up here and every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm just going to ask you to do something. What if you stopped asking God to make it easier? What if you stopped asking God to make your life more pleasant? And what if you simply asked God to meet you in the furnace and then you walked towards it? You acknowledged your addiction. You finally went to see the doctor about that spot that you've been wondering about. You went to somebody and you said, I'm in trouble. Can you help me? The golden statue in our world tends to have names like comfort and ease and security and success. And we've gotten this idea that following Jesus has something to do with making your life easier. Well, let me just ask you, how many of the great heroes in the Bible had an easy life? How many of those people who are mentioned in Hebrews 11 lived lives of comfort and ease. When did Jesus say, God has a wonderful plan for your life and it will primarily involve a great house, an attractive spouse, a terrific job, a wonderful car, an endless succession of fabulous days? Instead, Jesus says, follow me. And when you follow me, your life will have meaning and purpose and you will have access to a Great, big God of outrageous joy, and you will be in trouble almost all the time. That's what Jesus offered as an invitation. Follow me. Trouble is that way. And the weird thing is it worked. (laughs) Initially, dozens of people and then hundreds of people, and then thousands of people, and now millions of people have followed him into servanthood, into sacrifice, into generosity, into suffering and persecution and death, and millions of ordinary people have willingly walked into the furnace. And they've given everything. And they've said, I'm willing to die for this. And when those people did that, when their final moments came, which it will for you and for me one day, God did not forget them. God did not abandon them. God said to them, what he said to these three young men, what he said to Stephen, the first martyr, what he said to peter and paul who were persecuted and beaten and imprisoned and killed and what he said to cory ten boom and what he said to dietrich bonhoeffer and what he said to martin luther king jr and what he said to mother teresa and what he says to people in china and albania and aleppo and baton rouge and littleton and sandy hook and probably to someone here today in capel i'll meet you in the furnace if you dare if you're brave enough to go, I'll be there waiting for you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had their day. Daniel had his day. Stephen had his, and Peter had his, and Paul had his. And today may be your day. Would you stand up, please? The uh, shepherds of this congregation are willing and ready to pray with and for those of you who are ready to say today's my day I'm facing a furnace and I don't know what is going to happen when I step into it and I thought maybe there was a way out but now I'm recognizing the only way out is through I don't know what furnace you're facing I just know who will meet you there And we sang just a few minutes ago, God, whatever comes my way, I'll trust you. And we tend to think that means even if somebody cuts me off in traffic. But it may be a bad report from the doctor. It may be a child who looks at you and spits in your face and walks away. Maybe a severed relationship. It may be a financial hardship. God, whatever comes my way, We sang, I know who goes before me, I know who stands behind. We said, the one who reigns forever, oh, he's a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. These are things that we sat here and sang, and and we never give much thought to what the implications of that might be. We're going to sing a song. And the shepherds are going to circulate among you and they're willing to pray with and for you. I don't know what furnace you face but I know who will meet you there.